Hello and welcome to Tales of the Cocktail. I'm Jody Cash, contributing editor, and this is our very first podcast episode. Since we've just entered the new year, we rounded up a few of our favorite industry leaders to talk about everything from the value of a growing bartending community to what ingredients will be big in 2017. We even talked to a voodoo high priestess about what she foresees in the coming year. And with all of these accomplished folks on the show, we thought it would be great to talk to a goal coach about the steps you should take to make your own resolutions a reality. We've got all of this and lots more on this episode of Tales of the Cocktail. We started taping this episode at Tales of the Toddy, a holiday drinks competition that we host each year in New Orleans. Here, we began by interviewing Chris Hanna, head bartender at Arnaud's French 75. It proved to be a victorious night for Hanna, whose drink the Doc Holiday Grog, which he created alongside Christine Janine Nielsen, won Best Cocktail. Here's what Hanna had to say about the importance of his bartending community. The bar community has become stronger in 2016, I believe by everybody realizing that we all have to do everything together, you know, um, learning different spirits, different, different ways of uh, tweaking them into cocktails that work, you know, and, and how to like approach different styles of drinks. I like how to see all the other younger bartenders working together because you can't, I mean, not everybody's going to know everything, so you have to go to everybody's bars, and, and when you do that, then you're, you're like, you're, there's no, there's no chip on your shoulder, you know, you're walking over there, and you're, you're humble, and you're, and you're happy to, like, to get an idea from somebody else, you're like, oh, wow, that's cool, I'm going to try that over, you know, at my bar, you know, because, like, I guess I might ask you a question, and you don't know how to work with a certain spirit, and then you just remember you might have had it somewhere, and it just helps you make a drink somewhere else, so I like the camaraderie of the, uh, the bar community in 2016. I think what's going to be most important in my bar community is, um, is is a new growth of bartenders. What I'm realizing for me is I have younger bartenders coming in, and in my bar is pretty small, so they move from tables to the bar. And then when they're at the bar for a certain amount of time, they have to get there when I you know move on, obviously, to maybe another bar, another city. And so the training for me is. Uh, is, is like ongoing and so I think that that's probably the most important thing in 2017 is the different ways of, of, people, of training and getting people to work in my own bar community and like wherever I am if I'm still at the same bar I've been there 13 years so it's a little bit different for me but I think the training and having and having the uh, the good poise of bartenders. We, New Orleans is a really good, really really good group, and we have had one for over six years now, seven years, and so I just hope to be part of the same community and that we can all work together going forward. There's perhaps no one more invested in supporting the bar community than Ann Tunerman, the founder and CEO of Tales of the Cocktail. We also caught up with Ann at Tales of the Toddy to see how she views her own responsibility in the cocktail world. My name is Ann Tunerman, uh, the founder of Tales of the Cocktail. I think the tightness of the bar community is really important in 2017, and I think that we really just referenced it on a fabulous piece on the website on, you know, substance abuse, and that, you know, it's not one particular person's problem, it's the industry's responsibility, and I think that the bartending community is really good about taking care of each other. I mean, I've never seen a bartender ask for something or be in need and people not respond, so I think that community is going to continue 
continue to get tighter and tighter, closer and closer. I mean, part of that just because of how they are and they're so generous. And then also with social media, the thing is you can be so connected to, you know, people from around the world that can offer support and not necessarily need to be there physically. So I think it's going to continue to get, uh, you know, even closer, you know, that bond among bartenders. Everybody wants to be a part of something, and, you know, that's what makes people want to stay longer, work at a place, work, you know, harder, faster. Um, so I think they really have a responsibility to, you know, build a culture and a team. Um, i am just finished reading a book called The Ideal Team Player, and he talks about how you can have a team of, like, all hot shots and not win, or you can have a team of kind of average people, but they're all team players, and they can excel. So I think that, you know, the bar owners and managers really need to foster that sense of community and, you know, working together versus, you know, all for one. And, you know, because, again, it's that kind of same philosophy, like, you know, you shouldn't leave your shift and your station, you know, crappy for the next person. You know, it's like you're all really ultimately, you know, working together. So, uh, but I think, you know, that's important in any job. Again, everybody wants to feel validated. They want to be a part of something and a part of something that's successful. Everybody has their own brand, so you do have to build your own brand and whatever your brand potentially stands for, but your brand also has to be a part of that team, and ultimately those values, you know, work together. It's like at our company, you know, it's important to me that all of our team members have the same values when it comes to hospitality or customer service or things like that. I want them to be, you know, individual rock stars and succeed in their areas, but we all have to share the same basic you know, values. My favorite thing about the New Orleans bartending community is how they've embraced Tales of the Cocktail. Tales of the Cocktail, I mean, again, next year will be our 15th anniversary, which is truly hard to believe. But this event would be nothing if these people wouldn't have somehow bought into, you know, this crazy woman with, you know, an idea and a vision. And honestly, it's the same with, you know, whether it's media people or other bartenders from around the world. They decided to, you know, embrace this idea and give it a chance and then really helped it grow. I mean, we grow with the input of these people, you know, every year and every day. So I would say, you know, uh, in addition to the fact that, you know, we love to eat at their bars and drink their cocktails and, you know, do everything we can to take care of them. But, you know, I have to say really just the way that they've embraced, you know, us is, you know, something I'm really grateful for. To wrap up our interviews of Toddy, we talked to Denzel Brown, who just helped open the Troubadour a boutique hotel which boasts two restaurants and three bars. As assistant outlet manager at the Troubadour, Brown's job is not an easy one. We talked to Denzel about how he got where he is and how he plans to keep going. Hi, my name is Denzel Brown, and I'm the assistant outlet manager at the Troubadour Hotel. The Troubadour is a new boutique-style hotel opening up on the corner of Gravier and South Rampart in the CBD. We have uh, two restaurants and three bars, and the, uh, the hotel really is just all about having fun and embodying New Orleans really within a building. I, I find that kind of impossible to do, but I think that's, you know, this hotel is nailed it, and I'm happy to be a part of it. So I think my biggest goal in 2017 is to to have one of the best bars in the city of New Orleans. It's it's crazy because it's hard to get a bar inside of a hotel to be a great bar. And I think that's the case just because great bars in New Orleans are are, you know, they get those titles from locals. 
And a lot of people who stay in hotels are tourists. And it's, it's just something we have to work with. It's the nature of the beast, if you will. Um, and I think one of my biggest goals for 2017 is to get our, um, is to get our uh, Troubadour bars on on the map and, and get us, you know, as a very, very happy and lively uh, nightlife spot within, you know, whether it's our ground floor restaurant, our um, second floor lounge bar, or our rooftop bar, whatever it may be, just having that opportunity to put, you know, put us on the map. So yeah, I hope for 2017 to like start my own bitter company and, you know, start producing my own bitters where we use at the Troubadour and where we may be able to use at other bars throughout the city. Who knows? If you set these goals in life and you think that that is just going to come without any work or any like dedication or commitment, then you're wrong. You know, if I set a goal, it's just hard work and dedication to achieve that goal. And it's, it's that simple. I, I think for myself personally, just setting these goals and sticking by the rules and, and, you know, my own, whatever it is that I let myself and allow myself to do is how I achieve set goals. And that's what I think is, you know, what keeps me going. Denzel Brown's many accomplishments and his visions for 2017 got us to wondering, what does it take to actually reach your goals? Especially for those who might not be motivated by his impeccable confidence, what are the steps to bring even your loftiest dreams to fruition? We talked with Elena Tanner, an advanced certified personal and executive coach, about how she recommends not just setting goals, but sticking with them. My name is Elena Tanner, and I live in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I am an ICF credentialed professional coach. My goal-setting process and what I do with um, groups and individuals is I break the goal-setting down by the will of life. So I'll give you an example. So those, those um, um, topics are fun and recreation, physical environment, career, money, health, friends and family, significant other, and personal growth. And so when you break it down like that, then you're not looking at your entire life personally, professionally, and saying, oh, heavens, what am I going to do for 2017? You have something to go by. So let's, let's say, for example, um, physical health. Um, say the goal is you want to lose 10 pounds. It's very, 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 very important to, number one, write your goals down. Number two, to identify the resistance. So what is, what's the resistance to you losing 10 pounds or to a person losing 10 pounds? Well, um, you know, no time to prepare, um, to prepare food. Okay. And then it's very important also, what is the quality that, that the person will gain by losing 10 pounds. And so uh, the quality, it would be maybe self-confidence. So the person would gain self-confidence um, by uh, losing 10 pounds. Okay, and then we move on um, to another piece of the pie, the will of life. Um, say, uh, you know, you wanna, you wanna lose 10 pounds, the resistance may be you're too tired to exercise. And then another piece of the pie, say, you know, a person wants to gain new clients, but they're too tired at night to network. So what you're going to find is in these seven topics, there's a recurring thread 
in the resistance portion of it. So what you're going to find when you, when you complete this um, goal setting 2017 based on the will of life, each one of these seven, seven or eight pieces of the, of the pie, of the wheel, will have a common reoccurring resistance. And so what you can do is look at that resistance and be aware of it so that when it comes time to, you know, maybe late at night to not eat that popcorn, you'll know, oh, you know what, I have to do this to lose my 10 pounds. And it's important to identify the quality because um, you need to know what's the end benefit. Oh, okay, so if I lose 10 pounds and I don't eat that popcorn at 9 o'clock at night, then I'm going to gain self-confidence. What will that self-confidence allow you to do in other portions of your life? Another thing is that a person has to give themselves permission to want to set these goals and to want to achieve them because sometimes, and it's human nature, some people, um, are, and you know all of us to an extent, are scared of the success, which is why it's important to identify the resistance. Um, and so instead of asking, you know, yourself, okay, what if I fail? Instead of asking yourself that, spin that to say, what if I succeed? Now, another thing, a lot of people talk about SMART goals. To break the SMART down and label, okay, is this specific? And answer the questions on the piece of paper, yes, this is specific how. Is this measurable? Okay, so if you say you're going to lose 10 pounds, you need to know how you're going to do it. Are you going to cut your calories? You know, is it attainable? Can you really obtain this? Is this realistic? And what are the time to the time restrictions on this goal? It's very important to write these things down and to keep them, to keep the goals where you can see them. For bartenders, they can keep it at their house, um, in the kitchen, on the refrigerator, um, or even at work with them behind the bar. Okay, and so then we move to going back to the objectives. So how are you going to achieve this goal? And this is very important to write down as well. So how are you going to lose 10 pounds? Um, like I said earlier, are you going to cut your calories? Are you not going to eat carbs? Are you not going to eat past 6 o'clock in the evening? What specifically are you going to do to lose 10 pounds? You know, and moving on to career, what is a, is, a, a, is a bartender going to do to build that second level of that relationship with his or her clients? Um, how, can, how can the bartender, um, you know, maybe – Maybe the bartender wants to move up to management or, you know, lead bartender. If a bartender sets goals, like uh, professionally, it's very important to get buy-in from management. So what do I mean by that? So it's important to talk to management to say, hey, you know, for 2017, these are the goals I've set for myself professionally. And maybe ask the manager, what do you think about these? And, and the bartender can tell the manager how he's planning to achieve this. They can at that time ask their, their coworkers or the managers to say, 
will you please hold me accountable for X, Y, and Z? The bartender or the employee um, can go to his or her accountability partners and say, hey, I ask you to watch me um, when I'm dealing with my clients to see if I'm, if I'm being authentic. Maybe that's their goal. How am I doing? What is working well? What is not working well? And what can I do differently? Individuals are so scared to give feedback, so it's very important for the person setting the goals to go to his, his, his or her accountability partner and say, how am I doing? When the obstacles come, it's so important to have these things written down. What it does is it creates the feeling, going back and reading what, what a person wrote down at the beginning of the year, it recreates that feeling of excitement that they had when they actually did the goals and wrote them down. 2016 was an interesting year in the cocktail world. We continued to watch trends, techniques, and buzzwords come and go, making it hard to project what might come next. So we talked with Greg Best, co-founder of Ticonderoga Club, about what 2016 brought to the table and what he anticipates we'll see next. My name is Greg Best. I work at Ticonderoga Club in Atlanta, Georgia. 2016 was a whirlwind year, obviously, because that was the year that we opened our place, really. Um, <clears throat> but what I was aware of that went really well, uh, I think, in the market abroad was this kind of proliferation of what I like to call nouveau tiki um, <clears throat> and how that philosophy of, kind of tiki-minded bars <clears throat> kind of got into people's hands and... and uh, was manifested in new ways, you know, so it kind of, it, I don't think there have been many times where you can look back in cocktail history and see a particular style of cocktail or a genre of cocktail uh, and then trace like, okay, that was the classic iteration and now we have the nouveau iteration, you know, outside of the big cocktail renaissance. So it was unique to see modern um, barkeeps kind of taking that idea of tiki and seeing what they did and, and you know, or seeing what they could do and run with it. 2017, I think, is going to be the year uh, where prospective operators and current operators um, have an unexpected flexibility uh, given to them. You know, we've we've long been living in the mode of trends and you know, uh, kind of hot hot topic and, and, you know, what's the, the buzzword of the week. Um, but with the bubble that has kind of created and is bursting around the restaurant industry, by and large, um, I think bars are going to need to be flexible to stay relevant. Uh, and that will help, I think, many of us to keep from just, like, getting caught in a repetitive rhythm and in a, in a specific genre um, so, yeah, I think this is going to be the year of flexibility, for better or worse. You know, I think we don't really have a choice, uh, but I think that once everyone starts um, thinking outside the box in their businesses and seeing what their bar can be outside of a, you know, A plus B equals C uh, formula, that the industry as a whole will really take an evolutionary step forward. When we opened, we opened with the the really simple kind of ethos of okay, let's 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 like look at everything through a colonial lens, but but it as it would play out now. So kind of in a way, that same tiki mind, right? This is a place that 
isn't real and um, is kind of uh, infused with a bit of madness and we're just going to play that out you know and use that as our lens but what we've found uh, over 2016 and what we're looking forward to in 2017 is really seeing how Ticonderoga Club fits into the kind of the modern story, the modern vernacular. Um, and so that lens isn't as necessary because the people that have, um, that have darkened our doors and the great folks that we have working at the place have given Ticonderoga Club its voice and its, its real kind of living body. We're no longer like projecting and planning. Now it's becoming a thing. And so my partners and I are really excited about listening to those murmurs and, and kind of helping this business evolve and seeing um, uh, what it's what it's going to become in 2017. We do know that we're going to take it a lot less seriously <laughs> for, for, for whatever that might mean. <laughs> pineapple room. Uh, just remember that, pineapple room. I'd like to see the last remnants of the kind of super elitists cocktail bar be swept away. Um, and, and I, I, that sounds negative, but I think uh, what I mean to say is that there isn't really a place for it right now in in the current market atmosphere. And uh, by trying to perpetuate it, I think we run the danger of, of like creating a characterization of, of the bar thing and tur- turning more people off than we could turn on. So I think that that's super like particular just so... Um, really hard to get in unless you know the right person with the right name and the right number and yada yada yada. I I think uh, that can go on the back burner for a while and that will be a very healthy thing uh, to happen. (laughs) We're going to continue to see a a really big surge in agave and cane distillates, you know, rums, tequilas, mezcals. Um, There's just... uh, there's just so much interest in the category, and we're just now starting to really get uh, uh, exposure to some of the great producers from around the world, and um, that's really exciting because there's actual history in the category that has been untapped in in our market, which is exciting, uh, as opposed to something that's kind of being thrown together now and, and the story is being created as the product's being created. Personally, I wish that some amazing thing would happen where uh, Armagnac would suddenly become super affordable and uh, completely saturated market, but I doubt that that's going to happen. Greg Best is certainly a forward-thinking mind behind the bar, but he's not clairvoyant. To get the real scoop on what we should look for in 2017, we talked with Sally Ann Glassman, a voodoo high priestess who offered divination for the cocktail world. So my name is Sally Ann Glassman, and I am a what's called a Mambo Asagwe, which is a high priestess of the Vodou religion, um, as practiced in Haiti and and in Louisiana as well. I was a bartender for about 30 years, and, and I don't drink, so you almost have to pay me to walk into a bar at this point. But what I have noticed is a trend that I actually think is wonderful of... Um, 
cocktail mixers, bartenders who have really moved away from just straight alcohol with a shot of soda in it. And instead, they're working directly with herbs and creating their own elixirs and their own extracts and, and making them for a purpose. So you're not just getting drunk. And they're more like spell crafters, I would say. I, I know in some places they're being referred to as spirit handlers, and I love that. And um, I think what's always been missing in bars um, is that it's the the wrong kind of spirit that, that people are dealing with. And this kind of brings it back full circle. So it's more of an apothecary than just sitting there drowning your sorrows. It's also got a, a practical end to it that because the herbs are medicinal and they are magically effective, you're not just drowning your sorrows, you're actually doing something about it, which I think is great. I have a lot of bartenders in town who are sort of enlightened bartenders in this way, and they come and we really collaborate on what herbs are sacred to a particular spirit or what herbs are going to be effective in a certain area. So if somebody's looking for love, for instance, and um, they want it to be a, a lasting, real soul connection, they might make an elixir using some orris root. And orris root is what you put under your tongue. And if you kiss with orris root under your tongue, you'll be in love forever. So, um, Or you might work with patchouli, which is sort of an aphrodisiac or a damiana. Or there's, there's certain herbs that are going to be active in a certain realm of, of uh, intention. I think that as certain bars are becoming kind of notorious and, and people are seeking them out because it's it's been moved up to this this different level and because there's something really magical happening. I think we're all seeking magic all the time and, and especially when people go into a bar they want their lives to be magically transformed and fascinating and and so I think that as these sort of trailblazers get out there, I think increasingly people will be looking for that sort of thing. That's it for this episode of Tales of the Cocktail. Special thanks to our guests, Chris Hanna, Ann Tunerman, Denzel Brown, Elena Tanner, Greg Best, and Sally Ann Glassman. Thank you to our composer and sound engineer, Gresham Cash. I'm Jody Cash, and I look forward to talking next time. Cheers, y'all. Yeah, here we go. 2016, the year of the new world.